Right, well, it's good, good to be with you after that short break. If you're there in First Peter, we're going to be looking at verse 7 this morning, verse 7 for our second session about, uh, about the joy of understanding your wife, the joy of understanding your wife. I told you in the first session about uh, how I met Lisa, and then I told you that I would tell you um, if we actually went on that first date. So here's what happened. The second part of our story, if you will, is uh, you remember I got her number from her Bible study leader, and I kept thinking, should I call her? Should I not? Like, should I call her? Should I not? So what do you think I did? I didn't call her. All right, it's buds over babes. Let's get that right. Friends come first, right? So I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. So the next morning, on Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., we had a meeting with Rick Holland, the college pastor that a lot of you guys probably know. And uh, Jeremiah was there. I'm there. A bunch of seminary guys there. And I go up to Jeremiah and I said, hey, dude, did you have a good time at our dinner and a movie event on Saturday night? And he said, I had a great time. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, so are you going to ask her out again? And he said, no. And I said, well, why not? If you had a great time, what, what, why wouldn't you ask her out again? And he's like, well, she kind of made it clear she's not interested in dating, you know, that she's just kind of in a season of her life where she's just pursuing the Lord. And I'm like, oh, brother, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, put my arm around him. And I'm like, God's got somebody for you. I know he does. There's more fish in the sea, Jeremiah. Just keep fishing. He's got somebody for you. And when I had him in my arm like this, I looked at him and I said, hey, do you mind if I ask her out? And he was like, what? And I said, you just said you're not going to ask her out again. Do you mind if I ask her out? And he's like, yeah, go for it. If you want to ask her out, but she's not interested in dating right now. I'm like, okay, all right, all right. So that night, it's Tuesday night. I'm, I'm uh, trying to, you know, do my seminary homework. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call her. I'm, I'm just going to do it. So I call her number and it goes right to her voicemail. She said, hey, this is Lisa. Leave a message. And I said, May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Galatians 6, 14. Hey, Lisa, what's up? I thought I'd encourage you in the word tonight. Hope you, come on, I was in seminary. I was in seminary. So, hey, I've been studying this passage, and I just wanted to encourage you with that. Hey, it was great talking to you on Saturday night, and I'd love to visit with you some more. You know, uh, hey, I heard you've been to Uganda. I've been to Uganda. I'd love to hear about your trip. If you want to call me back, here's my number. If not, maybe I'll see you later. Bye. And I hang up. So I'm thinking like, all right, that's pretty good. You know, I encourage her in the word. I was trying to be a good friend. You know, if she wants to call me, she can, but it wasn't too threatening. And then I started freaking out because my mama raised me down in Georgia that uh, girls don't call boys. So I'm like, oh man, should she call me back? Is that like okay now that we're older? Like if she, like if she likes me, she'll call me back. But is that too forward for her? Or should I like wait? And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't take it anymore. So it's like, you know, it's like, it's like 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30, 10, 10, 15. I'm like, she's not calling. It's like 10, 15. So I'm like getting back to my Hebrew. I had a test the next day for Dr. Barrick. So I'm studying my Hebrew and I'm like getting my Hebrew down. And all of a sudden she calls. And I had it on my little flip phone. I already had her number, you know, her name and her number in, in, in my phone. So I didn't know, I didn't want her to know I'm excited that she's calling me back. So, you know, I do the old thing of like, hello. And she's like, is Adam there? Because, you know, it was before you knew if it was like a cell phone or a landline. And I'm like, speaking? And, and she's like, oh. And I'm like, what are you doing calling so late? It's after 10 o'clock on a school night. And she's like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I was just, I, I, hey, I'm just kidding, girl. I'm just kidding. What's up? 
how you do it. I had to, you know, I had to put her off just a little bit. I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, well, you know, I was just meeting with a girl and we were hanging out. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Tell, tell me more. You know, so we're talking and interacting a little bit. And, and the chemistry was there. I mean, it's just, it's happening on the phone. And in that moment, Rick calls in. And so I'm like, hey, Lisa, I got to take this call. It's Rick. He's coming to CSUN tomorrow. We have this big outreach planned. I've been playing phone tag with him all day. She said, okay, well, tell Rick I said hello. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll call you maybe later. You know, so I click over to Rick and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm talking to Lisa Seahusen. He said, what are you doing talking to her? I said, Rick, I'm trying to make myself available to young women in our ministry who have needs. (laughs) And Rick said, well, what she needs is a godly husband. And I'm like, you know this girl? She told me to tell you hi. And he's like, yeah, I officiated Danielle's wedding. That's her sister. I used to be a youth pastor in Michigan. I, I met, I've known her since she was in the fourth grade. She's a great girl. And I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me about it sooner? And he's like, well, you know, I just didn't think about it, but you should totally go for it. So I call her back after, after Rick and just say, hey, I didn't know you knew Rick Holland. And we started talking about that. And then I'm like, hey, I'd love to hang out. Why don't we grab coffee sometime? And she's like, yeah, that'd be great. And I'm like, how about this weekend? And she's like, I'm free on Friday. And I'm like, sweet, where, where do you live? I'll come pick you up. We'll go out to coffee. So sure enough, I show up. And now I had been working, I told you, as a PA in family practice. The doctor I worked for was from South Africa and a member at Grace Community. And he kept telling me, you got to meet this guy named Shannon Hurley. And I said, how come? He's like, because he's going to Uganda. And you've been to Uganda. You know, you're excited about missions. He's excited, excited about missions. So he'd been telling me this like for months. So I didn't think much about it. So I go to ring the doorbell to pick up Lisa because she says, oh, I live with my sister and her husband. And Shannon opens the door. He's like, hello, my name's Shannon. I'm like, Shannon Hurley? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, dude, are you the guy going to Uganda? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I've been hearing about you. I was going to talk to you, you know? And so we start talking. And then it was like kind of weird because I'm like talking to him about Uganda and missions. And Lisa's like sitting over here with Danielle, you know? And I was like, I didn't want her to know I was like super excited about going out with her, but I also was interested in meeting Shannon. But sure enough, we go uh, out to coffee and we just talk, right? Just talking, talking about life, talking about our testimonies, talking about one of the things I asked her was, how did you come to the master's university? And she said, oh, I came for the doctrinal statement. And I'm like, will you marry me? (laughs) <laughs> now, I waited a little bit before I asked her, but I was just like really drawn to her gorgeousness and her godliness, and that was what drew us together. We came home that night. We stayed up looking at scrapbook pictures of her trip to Uganda, and then I drove home that night just like, woo, yeah, thank you, Lord, and it was like awesome, and then we had our first argument, and after lunch, if you come back, I'll tell you about our first <laughs> argument, all right? But for now, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We're talking about the joy of understanding your wife. And the Lord knew that the ladies needed six verses, but the guys could only handle one. So at least in this passage, there's just one verse we're looking at today. And it's chapter 3, verse 7, which says, likewise, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor 
to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you for the grace of life, so that your prayers may not, <clears throat> excuse me, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today, this morning. Thank you for this second opportunity to look at this familiar passage for many of us out of 1 Peter 3. And we pray that just as the ladies, the wives this morning have been encouraged to be godly wives in their example, I pray that as husbands this morning, that we would heed the truth of your word to learn how to do a better job and have much joy in the art of understanding and living with our wives as the fellow heir of the grace of life. So be glorified in our time together, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, women are beautiful creatures, are they not? They're beautiful. I love my wife in particular, right? But sometimes a wife can be hard to understand. In fact, did did you hear about the guy who was walking up and down the beach in Santa Monica, big beach there in L.A., who stumbled upon a bottle that washed up from the ocean, and he rubbed the bottle, and lo and behold, a genie pops out and offers him three wishes. Have you heard this story? Uh, You know, so that's the the story about the genie. So the man said to the genie, "Um, you're not going to believe this, but I recently won a vacation, all expenses paid, to a resort in Hawaii. And the only catch was, for me and our three kids to come, we need to get a flight that when I called the airlines, I couldn't get a flight. So my first request is, can you give us a flight to Hawaii so we can go on this vacation? And the genie thought about it for a minute and said, well, there's no way I can honor that request because, you know, I would have to change other people's plans to put someone off the plane, to put you on the plane. That's not how this works. So no, I can't honor that request. So the guy's totally bummed about it. So he's like, well, I got a second question. Can you just build us a bridge? Like build a road from Santa Monica so we can drive to Hawaii because you're a genie. Can't you do that? And the genie's like, I'm so sorry. I, I can't do that either. Can you imagine how many pilings and how, 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 how long that would take to build a bridge to the bottom of the ocean to drive from Los Angeles to Hawaii? Are you crazy? I, I can't do that either. So then the man said, man, I just got one more guess. So he said on a different note, I have been really having a hard time understanding my wife. And I would like to know what she's thinking and what makes her tick. And and I could use some help. So the genie thought about it for a minute. And then he looked at him and said, how many lanes do you want? Two or four? (laughs) Now, again, I'm going to get in trouble maybe. But I'm also just saying the point we're making is it can be a challenge for a husband to understand a wife. And I'm not saying it's the wife's problem. Maybe it's the husband's problem. Because we're talking about husbands today and learning how to understand in a God-honoring way. Lou Priolo, well-known biblical counselor in his book, The Complete Husband. So you've probably read maybe The Excellent, uh, The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. A good, a good similar book would be Lou Priolo's The Complete Husband. Gives, uh, speaks to this in his chapter entitled, I Wish She Came With an Owner's Manual. Listen to what he says. Your car came with one. So did your television, your stereo, your camera, and your computer. It's too bad your wife didn't come with an owner's manual as well. Imagine how easy it would be for you to live with her if she came with a set of instructions, a book in which you could find everything you needed to know in order to keep her healthy, happy, and humming at optimum capacity. 
If you had a manual of this kind, it would provide you with current information about women in general, but it would also furnish you with such valuable data-specific product information, information about your wife in particular, proper maintenance instructions, directions on how to read her various emotional meters and gauges, cleansing instructions, various warnings and hazards, and even a comprehensive section on how to troubleshoot when difficulties arise. But alas, your wife is a woman, and a woman simply doesn't come with an owner's manual, or does she? And then Priolo writes this, allow me to let you in on a little-known secret. Your wife does come with an owner's manual, and the reason that you've never seen it is because it's tucked away in her heart. Deep down in her heart is all of the personal information you need to understand to be able to nurture your wife according to the Bible. There's just one catch. You're the one who's supposed to get in there and get that information out of her. That's right. It's your job to get that valuable information out of her heart. And I appreciate that, right? It's a reminder that women are complex, beautiful creatures, that men oftentimes are stubborn and shallow. <laughs> I, mean, I can say that because I'm a guy, right? And it is our job to find out what's going on in their heart, and it takes a little work, right? It takes going beyond just the normal of sitting around and having small talk. So let me ask you this morning, men, husbands, are you a husband of understanding? Are you seeking to understand your wife? Do you complain more about not understanding her, or do you want to champion the art of understanding your wife? And you say, but Adam, women and men are just so different. And I would say to you, brilliant. I'm glad you recognize that. And aren't we thankful they are? Aren't we thankful that women aren't like men and men aren't like women in so many different ways, right? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for those differences. And in a culture where men are being stripped of their masculinity and women are being even separated from their femininity, it's refreshing to remember what God's Word says in Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female two different genders, with different gifts, with different, you know, strengths that complement one another. And that's what we believe in at our church. I'm sure you do here as well in a complementarian view that men and women are created equal before God in our value and in our dignity, but we have different roles and responsibilities both at church and at home. We're equal, but we're different. This is what God's Word says, and that's what we're reading about even here in 1 Peter. We're just different, and that's okay, and that's actually a good thing because that's how God designed it for His glory. And so our goal is to understand our wives and to consider that to be a joyful thing. And so your first blank there or should just say, you must submit to God by being considerate of your wife. You must submit to God by being considerate of your wife. And what I'm getting at here is your next blank says, husbands... Go ahead and click one more time. Submission is for husbands too. And here's what I mean by that. Submission is for husbands too. I just want you to see this word again at the beginning of verse 7 that says what? It says, likewise. Remember, we talked about that in our earlier session in the same way. And we connected that with what's going on with citizens submitting to the government, with uh, slaves submitting to their masters, Christ submitting to the father, wives submit to their husbands. Question, 
Why does he say likewise to the men? Who are they submitting to? And the answer is, they're submitting to God. And he's just simply reminding a husband, just because you're the head of the wife, doesn't mean that you're not also accountable, because in all of those other areas, he talks about how even the government has a responsibility as an authority to render their service as unto the Lord. And even a master has a responsibility. So as a husband, you also have a responsibility to be faithful. So in that sense, submission, I don't mean egalitarianism, submitting to your wife. I mean submitting to God. You submit to God, husbands, as you lead your wife. And um, what does the next click say? Let me just see on that line. Okay. Yeah, that's the same review. Go ahead. One, two. This is what we're talking about. Three, four. And you don't have to write all that down, but that's just pretty much what I just said. All right? So husbands have to submit too, right? Husbands submit to God, and we need to be following Christ's example who submitted to the Father's will. Again, 1 Peter 2.21, he left us an example so that we would follow in his steps. So it's with that in mind that a husband needs to be submissive to to the Lord, to his word, to his, his role as a husband. And it says back to verse 7, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, the word live with here literally means to cohabitate with. It means to dwell with. It is describing how to conduct yourself when living with your wife and you are to dwell with her. Sometimes in marriage counseling, they ask, can we separate? And if there's not physical abuse or verbal abuse, I typically say no. I just had this happen recently, a couple at our church. Hey, we think we need to separate. There was no uh, abuse to that degree. And I'm like, guys, if you separate, you're going to be living worlds apart. You're supposed to be living together. And living together is how we work on it. It's hard. It's tough. I get it. But by God's grace, we can work through this. And you're actually commanded to live with your wife, to cohabitate with her. And you're to do it in a way that would be according to knowledge. When it says in an understanding way, literally translated, it could be translated as with accordance or in accordance with knowledge, which means you need to know her, right? You need to be considerate. And how can you be considerate? It's by knowing that person, by knowing who they are. And you can be considerate in general with all people, but there's a special type of knowledge here that belongs to a husband and a wife that's not just general social etiquette, but a personal intimate knowledge. In fact, the word in the Greek here is the word gnosis, which means knowledge. And in other words, for a husband to really live with his wife in an understanding way, he needs to be considerate to really know her. It's the same word gnosis that's used in many Bible passages about how Jesus knew what was going on within the heart of a man. He knew intimately what they were thinking and what they were doing. And, you know, we're not Jesus and we don't have divine knowledge like that, but we ought to work at having that kind of knowledge. In fact, I'd say it this way. Your next click on the PowerPoint says, you need to understand your wife. You need to understand your wife. Let's click one more time, see what comes up. There you go. You need to understand your wife. That's what we're talking about, to live with her in an understanding way. Let me just give you some practical ways you could maybe even seek to do this. Number one, you need to know key memories from your wife's past. Now, I wish I had to rephrase this because it sounds very psychologized, doesn't it? And I'm not, I'm not talking about psychology here. And I wish I would have actually removed the word need. So I'm editing my sermon on the spot, right? It should probably say something like, it would be wise for you to be aware or know of memories from your wife's past. So again, don't think psychology, but just think, hey, I really want to get to know her. That's part of the fun part of like, hey, tell me about where you're from, what your family was like. All that kind of stuff can be very helpful, and it could be an incredible way to understand your wife. 
and to understand her upbringing and to understand things that her family did. I'm not saying you have to adopt everything her family did, but doing and understanding that can be helpful. Like the first time Lisa and I hung out with her family at a formal occasion, it was like um, around the holidays, we're having dinner at her house with her mom and dad, and, 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 and uh, there was a big spread. The da- her dad prayed, and we said amen, and I pick up my fork and start eating this delicious meal. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is so good. And I look around uh, the table, and no one else had picked up their fork. They're all just sitting there, and Lisa's like grabbing my leg under the table or my hand, like, you know, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, we prayed, right? And she's like, yeah, but mama hasn't picked up her fork yet. And she's like, in their home, it was kind of like, you know, the mom's busy setting out the last side dishes or whatever until she comes and sits down and picks up the fork. You don't eat. And I, and I, I didn't know that. So it's, it's good for me to know. That's important to know, right? Like, hey, I want to practice good etiquette and to be able to know what's going on. Lisa's family grew up going to the uh, apple orchard in the fall. You know, Lisa's family ate Chinese food every Christmas Eve because that's what you do. Did you know that? That's what you do on Christmas Eve. You eat Chinese food. Now, I'm kidding, but I'm just saying it's just helpful to know different things, and, and we do that now. Not every Christmas Eve, but we've done that a lot of times. Lisa's family likes to celebrate um, Jesus's birthday on Christmas night, where they have a little poem that they read and a cake that they make, and it's basically saying, Jesus, thank you that it's your birthday. And uh, these are things that are just helpful to know, where to, to, to be able to relate to and connect with, and maybe even adopt many of those things in, into your family. And of course, I think a husband can bring stuff too, right, into, into the family as you make your own family unit. But I'm just saying it would be wise to know things about your wife's past. Number two, you need to know the desires of your wife in the present. In the present. It would be wise for you to know not only about her past, but about the present. I mean, let me just illustrate this this way. If I had a friend that, I had, that it was a guy, and it was my birthday, or, or, and he gave me a gift card to Walmart, Let's say it's a $20 gift card to Walmart, and this guy gives this to me for my birthday. What do you think I'm thinking? I'm thinking like, hey, man, that's, like, that's really kind of you. Thank you for giving me a gift to Walmart. No, guys don't usually give guys gifts. And I got 20 bucks, I can go at Walmart, maybe get a Dodger hat or something. You know, it's like, thanks a lot. So that would be, that context would go like that. What if it was my wife's birthday, and I'm going to give her a gift, and I decide like, hey, I really appreciated that guy got me a $20 gift card to Walmart. I think I'll do that for my wife. And so I write a card, put a $20 gift card to Walmart, and I give it to my wife on her birthday. <laughs> what do you think she's going to say? Come on, it's okay. You can say it. She's going to say, what is this? Right? Like, what, what are you doing? $20 gift card to Walmart? I'm like, baby, I thought you would like that. She might say something like, do you even know me? Right? Do you even know me? Like, you would give me a $20 gift card to Walmart? Like, come on. You know, again, my wife is very kind. I'm sure she wouldn't say that, right? But it would be tempting, right, to say something like that because where's the knowledge? Where's the digging in deep to understand what her desires may be? And Wayne Grudem writes, you know, the knowledge goes way beyond just practical things like that. I like Grudem again on this particular text where he says, quote, the knowledge Peter intends here may include any knowledge that would be beneficial to the husband-wife relationship, knowledge of God's purposes and principles for marriage, knowledge of the wife's desires, goals, and frustrations, knowledge of her strengths and weaknesses in the physical, emotional, and spiritual realm. So absolutely, it's a comprehensive knowledge. 
You know, where, where are my wife's anxieties? Where are her fears? Where are her hopes and her dreams? And how can I get involved in that to help where I need to help and to listen where I need to listen? And it's a whole lifestyle of learning to live with your wife in an understanding way. A husband would do well to know his wife's preferences on a number of fronts and to prefer her preferences is more than, uh, more than his own, right? I mean, guys, do you know your wife's preferences? Do you know if she would rather you take her out on a date uh, or just to go for a walk? I mean, she always wants to go on a date, but, you know, on the date, is it like going to the movies where sometimes you just eat popcorn and watch a movie and don't interact that much? Or is it like, no, let's go talk. Let's go for a walk. Let's go do something, you know, go for a hike or do something more exciting. Do you know if your wife would rather you do the laundry or to do the dishes? Or do you know if, if she would rather you tidy up around the house or, or to spend more time with the kids? And it, there's all these things that like you want to understand by communicating and talking what's going on. I mean, a, a husband should love his wife like he loves his own body. It says in Ephesians 5.28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And just to remind you know about your body, your body's needs in hygiene, in all kinds of areas. You know about your body, the rest that you need, and the workout schedule, and your diet. Do you know all that about your wife in a way that would benefit the relationship by being really interested in what she's going through? When our wives hurt, we ought to hurt. When they're emotionally upset, we ought to at least try to understand, right? We ought to at least give it some time to understand what's going on. If your wife is crying at times, you know, you ought to spend some time listening, right? And that can be challenging, right? I remember the first time Lisa was crying at some situation, probably something I had done, I'm sure. Uh, and she's crying and I'm like, hey, honey, what, what's going on? Why are you crying? And occasionally you'll hear the, I don't know why. And I'm like, it's okay, let's cry together. You know, I don't do that, but I, I should at least learn to try to grow in that, to at least be able to empathize with what she's going through. And not only do we need to know what she's going through in that moment, but we need to understand your next click. We need to understand what our wife will be like in the future. Because let me tell you something. Do we have some more clicks on the PowerPoint or no? How are we doing? Go one. No, let's, let's oh, there, there it is. You need to know, that's it. Let's do that one. Yep, number one, two, and three. Her past, her present, and her future is what I'm trying to emphasize. Really knowing somebody, a little bit about their past, a lot about the present, and certainly it's okay to understand that she's going to change in the future. The woman that you married today will be different tomorrow, right? I remember the first five years or so of our marriage, every Valentine's Day, I would buy my wife chocolate and flowers, I mean, isn't that what you do on Valentine's Day? Box of chocolate, flowers, Valentine's Day. And I'm thinking, I'm a great husband. Box of chocolate and some flowers. Here you go, baby. Happy Valentine's Day. So after about five years, my wife said something to the effect of like, hey, honey, can't you get a little bit more creative? That every year it's a box of chocolate. I mean, that's sweet. You know, I, I get you. But it's a box of chocolate and flowers. Same thing every year. You, you know what? I don't ever want you to buy me chocolate or flowers again. I'm like, Okay. And she, she was encouraging me to get creative. So I'm like, all right, I'm going for it, man. So next Valentine's Day comes around. And, you know, there were, there were some good years and there were some bad years. You know, <laughs> there were some years I got something. She's like, oh, I love this. That's so thankful. Uh, thank you. There's other years I get something. And she gets like, what is this? I'm like, baby, I got the receipt right here. It's right here. We can take it back. You can shop for whatever you want, baby. Whatever you want. I got it right here. So we go through that for a few years. And then after a while, that kind of ran out of steam. And she looked at me one Valentine's Day. I don't know. We were 10 years in or so. And she's like, well, why don't you ever buy me chocolate and flowers anymore? <laughs> to which I said, 
I'll be right back. I'll be right <laughs> back. I can do it, baby. I can do that. So it's okay to know there's a change. And part of what I'm trying to develop for all of us this morning is that's an adventure. That is exciting. Do you want to be married to someone who's just like you? Because you're boring. You're really boring. But your wife is interesting. You never know what she's going to say. You never know what she's going to be like. And you get to love her anyway every moment. I'm being facetious, but I'm also being serious at the same time. Because if you don't learn to ride with that, then you're going to get frustrated. And that's what I see guys happen because it happens in my own heart. I'm like, honey, you just said this yesterday. You said this today. Make up your mind. You know, and before we know it, we're having an argument. Why? Because I am upset that she changed her, you know, her idea on something, which is, that's not a sin. You know, yesterday I like this, today I like this, tomorrow who knows what I like. Well, honey, I like you. So wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. And that's what I need to learn and grow in. And my wife will be quick to tell you I'm growing in that area, but I'm not perfect. I haven't yet arrived, but this is part of living with them in an understanding way to really know what's going on. An area I have failed in this miserably would be, you know, we used to read a marriage book together every year. And, you know, we did that for like a lot, a lot of years and, and just read it and talk about it so we can encourage each other. And then I kind of lost uh, my way and didn't do that for a while. And just a year or two ago, she's like, honey, we used to read books about marriage, and we haven't done that in like five years. What's going on? And I'm like, honey, you're right. You're right. I'm not saying you have to do that, but that's just a way of like, help me understand where you're at so I can jump back in the game to be involved in reading together, praying together is another opportunity where I fail miserably. Like, hey, hey, you know, we try to pray, we pretty much do pray every night at bedtime, but unfortunately, sometimes it's that sleepy bedtime prayer when you're falling asleep, you know, and she's like, no, no, we got to pray earlier. She was just telling me this a few weeks ago, and she's like, we got to do it at 530 in the morning, 530 morning, because that's when I get up. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, let's do it. So that's what we, we did. And it lasted for a day, but it was okay on that one day. We got up at 5.30, we got, I woke her up. I'm like, baby, let's do it. Let's get on our knees right now. And we got on our knees at the foot of our, bre- of our bed. So I'm not sure where you're at today, babies. At 5.30, no, I'm just kidding. Uh-oh, we'll have to talk about it later, right? Because we got to find a way to make it work. We got to find a way to make it work. And that's what it means in practical terms of understanding. Leading your wife in an understanding way means understanding her now in the present. A second way, number two, second way you can live with your wife in an understanding way is that you must see her weakness as an opportunity for chivalry, not mockery. I know the, the, the uh, word chivalry is not a biblical word, but I'd like to still explain what I mean by that because I think there's some value here for us, okay? You, you must learn to, your, your, to, to live with your wife in a way that would be chivalrous and not mockery because we're asking the question here in the middle of the verse, what does the weaker vessel refer to? As you see on the PowerPoint, what does the weaker vessel refer to? Because it says in verse 7, live with your wife's in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So what does that mean, the weaker vessel? Because it sounds derogatory on the surface. And so here are some possible definitions of what that word weaker vessel means. Number one, believe it or not, some commentators, and I don't know if they have good marriages, but they say it could be talking about intellectually. That maybe a wife doesn't have the intellectual capacity, and that's what the Bible means when it says weaker. Again, I think that person who thinks that is a fool. I don't think women are weaker intellectually. There's plenty of women that are way smarter than men in a ton of areas. 
So just because your wife can't figure out how to work the television or the phone doesn't mean she's stupid, right? She knows how to cook a mean dish, and you can't cook work work the lick, right? So she's smart in certain areas. You're smart in certain areas. This is not what this verse means, that somehow she's weaker intellectually. Please say you agree with me on that. Thank you. If not, I'll talk to you in the back. We'll be back in the back over here, and we'll, we'll work it out for you. Number two, some people say, well, this means emotionally. Somehow, women are just weaker emotionally. Remember, I said sometimes a woman may cry, and you don't know exactly why. And I would say this is not what this text means either. In fact, I might argue that a woman has a stronger emotional ability to relate to others than men do. I mean, if my wife and I go to a dinner party, you know, I might be hanging out with the guys, and guess what we're talking about? You know, we're talking about the Dodgers, and we're talking about football. Some guy went hunting and bagged a big deer. They do that even in California. And, uh, you know, and it's like, we're talking about this and that. And then, you know, I look over at the girls, and they're like crying together. You know, they're in a huddle praying together. They're like, they're like, like really connecting. We're driving home, and she's like, well, what, what did you got? What, what, how was your time with the guys? I'm like, oh, honey, it was good. She's like, well, how are they doing? I'm like, fine. They're doing fine. And she's like, well, what about Bob? You know, Bob, that blah, 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 the wife told me this. And I'm like, I didn't ask Bob about that. You know, we talked about the Dodgers. Are they going to get 100 wins or not? You know, that's what we talked about. And, and I'm like, well, what did you talk about? Oh, well, she told me about this. And their one kid has this medical need. And then they're, they're, she has a family member who, you know, this. And we, she just started crying. It was so beautiful. And we just started praying for her. And I'm like, which one of those is a stronger, healthier relationship? You know, me and Bob talking about barbecue. And the Dodgers are her actually connecting with these women on a whole nother level. I'm just making my argument is I don't think this word means emotionally. In fact, I would rather have an emotional connection than the guy who just grunts. How you doing? Mm. Are you hungry? Mm-hmm. What do you want to eat? Mm. You know, is that, is that healthy? Something's not wrong with that guy. So I don't think that that's what it's talking about. Number three, some people say spiritual spiritual maturity. Be careful here. Remember, we've already said men and women, husbands and wives are equal, but different. Different roles and responsibilities, but they're equal. To say that the woman is weaker spiritually, that's just not the case. Think of all the godly women in the Bible that we talked about, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel. There's Rahab and Deborah and Ruth and Abigail and Elizabeth and Mary and Anna and Priscilla, Lydia. We could go on and on, these godly women from the Bible. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free, neither is there male or female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you're asking, well, what does it mean? If it doesn't mean intellectual, if it doesn't mean emotional, if it doesn't mean spiritual, then what does God's words mean when it says the wife is the weaker vessel? Answer, I believe it means physical strength. It is a simple statement of the fact that women are weaker physically than men are. That's how God made us. That's just the way it is, right? It is a fact that men have a higher muscle mass than women. The word vessel is used in other places in the Bible to refer to your body, like in Romans 9, 21, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, all use that same word, and it's referring to the jar of clay. It's referring to our body, right? That, that, that it's the body that we have to control in holiness and honor. I believe this passage is talking about if, 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 that our wives are weaker uh, physically. And you know what? That, that actually is an opportunity for me to honor that. You know, I, I like it when my wife is like, ur, ur, here, can you open the pickle jar? I'm like, yeah, baby. I got that. Give me that pickle jar. Boom! There you go. 
I like that. I mean, can you imagine it being the other way around? Oh, honey, can you open the pickle jar? Okay, it's happened once or twice where I loosened it, you know. (laughs) Then I gave it to her and she opened it, but it's just once or twice. But I mean, I don't want to marry a woman who's like the big, strong, brawny type. I mean, if that's you out there, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a place for that, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like in general, in general, you know, it's okay that men are naturally stronger than women. And that's an opportunity to show honor to the weaker vessel. One more way I might illustrate this would be, you know, what about, uh, well, let's, let's talk about if I had a mug, like a big man mug that's made out of like metal and rubber, and it's big, and you drink coffee with it, and you fill it up, kind of like your Bart, your stainless steel thing there. If I had that as a mug, then uh, if I took that and I dropped it on the floor, uh, what would happen to that big man mug? Nothing. It's going to bounce. It's going to roll. It's going to make a loud noise, but I'll pick it up now, still drink out of it. No big deal. Now, let's say that that represents more of like what a man is like, whereas a woman would be more like a teacup, you know, a dainty, delicate teacup that you keep in this special area of the fine china. And uh, which one, and if I took that teacup and I threw it on the floor, what's going to happen? It's going to shatter. So the question is, which one is better? And the answer is, well, it depends. Like if I'm going hunting, which I actually don't do, but if I were like that hunter guy and I had a big mug, then that's, that's what I would use. But what about Christmas dinner when you had the family over? You're going to set out a bunch of big man mugs around the table? I hope not, right? You're going to set out the fine china of the dainty teacups or whatever you have, your very best, and put it out there. Uh, so the dainty teacup, uh, which one costs more? You're going to go buy, I mean, you could go to the gas station and buy a man mug, but the really nice teacup is more sophisticated, right? Uh, what I'm trying to say is they're equal in the sense that they carry the beverage to your mouth, but they're different in their design and have different purposes, and one's not better. So when it says weaker, we would all agree the dainty teacup is weaker physically and how it's made and constructed because it can shatter, but that doesn't mean it's worse, or that doesn't mean it's somehow in dishonor right? It's still something that would honor. So we want to honor this weakness in our wives. It's just a known fact. I mean, if there's a, if there's a bump in the night, what do you do? Hey, honey, go check that out. <laughs> Hopefully not, right? You get out of bed, you grab your baseball bat, you head down the stairs, and you're like, all right, what's going on? Right? You don't make your wife do that, you know? I mean, the, the idea, this is not something to mock, but, and this is the, the definition of chivalry that I was talking about there, the combination of qualities expected in an ideal night, especially courage and honor and courtesy and justice and a readiness to help the weak. And if you want to be that knight in shining armor, it isn't always about slaying the dragon and getting the pretty girl. Sometimes by showing her honor, you need to serve her by coming off of your noble steed and take off your armor and honor your wife by serving her. That's what the text is talking about. And their next click, how are some ways I can honor my wife? How can I honor this? You know, the verse talks about they're the weaker vessel, but that's an opportunity for us to do what? To show them honor. To show them honor. To honor them means that you show value to them. It means that you, you uh, regard them and their personhood and their desires as precious and you prize them as a priceless treasure. Here's some practical ways you could honor them. Number one, to supply your wife with the conveniences of life and not necessarily as a Christmas gift, all right, or a birthday gift. 
but just normal. This is normal maintenance mode, all right? Hey, honey, the dishwasher's broken. Let's get a new one. You know, it's a, the, the, number two, to sacrifice time from work or your hobby to spend time with her that honors her, right? Saturday, some wives are like, oh my word, I'm a widow in football season because all my husband does is sit on the couch and watch football all day long. Well, guess what? Husbands, you already scored by being here. Way to go, guys. You're here at a marriage conference. Don't be the widow uh, that watches football all day long to make your wife feel like a widow. Number three, you can serve around the house and honor her in ways that make her life easier. You know, unfortunately, I would say a lot of husbands take for granted that their wife serves them, and they somehow expect their wives to do things for them around the house, like cook, clean, and wash my blue jeans. I think that's a country song. I don't listen to country music, but somebody told me that's a country song. Wash, clean, you know, whatever. Wash my blue jeans. It's like, really? Does, where, where in the Bible does it say a man can't wash his own clothes? Where in the Bible does it say, as a man, you can't iron your shirt, make the bed, clean the house? Where does it say that? Now, I don't do all those things perfectly because sometimes my wife is like, hey, I want to serve you this way, but I also am learning that it's okay for me to help fold the laundry when it comes out of the dryer instead of sit there on the couch like a pig and help her out, right? I mean, the, the idea of chivalrous is help them, come alongside them, honor them in these ways. I would say, guys, don't be so stinking selfish. Get off the couch. Go help her bring the groceries in from the car, right? Turn off the TV, take out the trash, do some laundry, make the bed, give the kids a bath, put it on their PJs, read them from the, to the Bible, read them Bible verses, tuck them in bed, and kiss their face. Like, you can do that as a husband. I hope you would want to with your kids, but sometimes in a way to give your wife a little bit of a break, that you're there to honor her. Number four, to speak kind words to her that will build her up. Other ways to honor. Speak kind words to her. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So we're going to talk about that this afternoon. Number five, to save up and take your own dates and buy gifts and go on vacation. I think those are important ways to honor the time that you have together. You know, when we talk about chivalry, I can't help but think about, you know, I grew up in the South and uh, guys are supposed to open the door for the, for the lady. I hope you guys do that here in Kansas. Um, I remember one time going to church my mom and dad, and there's three kids. I'm the baby of three. We get to church. It's raining on a Sunday. We pull up, we park, and we all run in real fast. We didn't have an umbrella. And we get inside, and we're kind of shaking the rain off of us, kind of laughing about, oh, we made it. You know, we're soaking wet. And my mom's still sitting in the car. And my dad is like, we're like, where's mom? And he's like, oh, kids, I'll be right back. <laughs> he walks out to the car, opens the door. She puts her arm out. He puts her, you know, she, he walks her in like that. You know, and it's like, that just, I just remember that. It's like, oh, yeah. That's a way to honor our wives, that in any situation, to just, you know, just be there for them, be thoughtful for them, and honor that in them, because that's a beautiful thing. And then number three, you're moving on, number three, you must share all of life together as the co-heirs of Christ. Another way to, to have joy and understanding is the joy of, of realizing this truth that we're, we're co-heirs of the grace of our Lord. At the end of the verse, it says, since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So they're co-heirs. This is what this passage is saying. It's not like you've received a really big inheritance and they've received a small inheritance. In heaven, we're all the same. 
in the sense that we've all been given. I mean, I know that you can store up treasure and that those who, you know, did well on earth will manage more cities in heaven, that parable that teaches that. But I'm just saying we're the same in the sense of we're, we're inheriting eternal life. And God sees us as his adopted sons and daughters in the kingdom. And because we're fellow heirs, we need to treat each other as fellow heirs here. That we treat each other with that kind of respect and appreciation. It says that we're co-heirs of the grace of life. Some commentators will say grace of life is just the gift of life. Other commentators will say, no, no, no. The gift of life in this context is your spouse. Like you've been given a gift. Like if you're single, your gift is singleness, 1 Corinthians 7. But if you're married, your gift is your spouse, 1 Corinthians 7. And this passage that talks about you are co-heirs of the grace of life. Like I don't deserve my wife. Like, I don't deserve anyone to love me like she does. She's beautiful. She's a co-heir of the grace of Christ. I want to treat her as a sister in Christ. And the best way you can share in the grace of life with your wife is to share in the grace of God with your wife. Opening the scripture, spending time in prayer, following the mindset of husbands loving them, their wives as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5, 25. And then we look to Christ who sanctifies the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's what Christ does for his church. And in the same way, we want to encourage that and love our wives in a similar way. So how can you function as a fellow heir of the grace of life? And I'll just list these and we'll break for lunch. But number one, listen to your wife and provide for her. This passage, listen to your wife and provide for her. If you want to jot down a passage, I jotted down John 2, 1 through 10. This is when Mary comes to Jesus and said, we have no more wine. What did Jesus say? Well, I mean, he said, woman, you know, but in the context, it was respectful. It sounds bad in our vernacular, but if you look, go back and look at the context, he's being very polite, but he's also steering Mary towards the fact that he's the son of God. He'll address it his way, his time, and he did. And he actually honored Mary's request. Number two, it says, forgive your wife and cover her sin. John 8, 1 through 11, that's the woman caught in the act of adultery. Again, our wife sin, we sin. I'm not talking about adultery necessarily, but just sin. And when we sin, we need to forgive each other and realize I can't throw the first stone because I also have sin. So it's just something to work through to keep us humble and to, to uh, forgive our wife and to be willing to cover that sin in the sense that would be appropriate. Number three, empathize with your wife and honor her emotions. I jotted down John 11. 32 through 36, you know what that is? John 11, Lazarus died, Mary and Martha come out, and what do they do when they come? Jesus shows up late on purpose, Mary and Martha come out, and what happens? They're a little bit upset at him. If you had only been here, Jesus, we know that, you, that, that everything would have been okay, and they cried. And then you have the shortest verse in the Bible, which says what? John eleven thirty five. 35, it says, Jesus wept. The question I always have had is, why did he weep? He purposely came late to make a point that I am the resurrection and the life. And even though your brother's been dead in the grave with rigor mortis for four days, I'm about to raise him up. I am the resurrection and the life. But before he did that, he just weeps with them. He connects with them. He doesn't scoff them or instruct them in some rude way like, quit your crying. He just weeps with them. And oh, how we need to learn to empathize as a husband with our wife and honor that emotion that's there in a way that would honor the Lord. 
What happens, your next click, what happens if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way? Well, just as we studied earlier today that there's a problem if women don't because they, they need to not fear God in anything but just do what God's called them to do. Well, for the husbands, if we don't do this, what happens? Number one, it says your prayers will be hindered. Pretty serious. It says, look, if you don't, if you don't do this, if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, honor them as the fellow heir of the grace of life. You know what? I'm not going to hear your prayers. I mean, that's what God is saying. He's, it's almost like he's saying, don't come to me in prayer about stuff you need in your life if you're not doing what I've already told you to do by walking in obedience, by loving your wife in this way. The word hindered there is a military term, and it means to cut in on, throw obstacles in the way of, or to cut up the road. Like there's no passageway. And God, in a sense, I mean, God hears prayers, but he's kind of saying, I'm not going to answer your prayers if you have ongoing sin in your life. And the ongoing sin in your life may be that you're not willing to live with your wife in an understanding way. What else could happen if we don't learn to do this? Well, number two, the gospel's not going to be put on display. If you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, how are you being an example of Christ? If the marriage is to be Christ in the church, then the husband's supposed to look like Christ. And the wife is supposed to look like the church, and she submits to the head, which is Christ. So at this point, we're supposed to be like Christ. So if we're not loving our wives and living with them in an understanding way, it's like saying, hey, we don't really care. Let me ask you, does Jesus care about the church? Yes, he does. So much that he died for the church, and he knows everything about us. And he's intimately involved in our daily interactions. And that's how a husband ought to be with his wife. And as he is like that, the gospel's on display. Where, where people see Christ in the church in that relationship, which is an evangelistic opportunity. Did you know one of the best ways you can evangelize in the world today is by having a godly marriage? Marriages are breaking up and they're pursuing divorce and husbands and wives are at each other's throats and they're always arguing and whining and complaining about each other in, in public. And you could just be like, you know, I love my wife. I am so thankful for her. It is a joy and an honor for me to learn to live with her in an understanding way. Some take-home practical things to consider. Number one is learning about your wife and discovering new things about her. Is it a joy for you or is it a drudgery? I hope you'll be honest with yourself. To really adopt this biblical principle of living with her in an understanding way, it takes time and effort and work, and it is oh so joyful to walk in that kind of obedience, and your marriage will only benefit from it. Don't see it as a drudgery, but a joy to sit and talk and ask questions and develop a meaningful interaction that, that waxes and wanes with the day and, and over time changes and, and it comes back full circle. Number two is being chivalrous more about you and your armor? Or is it more about your wife and showing her honor? You know, sometimes I think husbands think they're great husbands. Well, I provide for her, and I bought her a house and a car, and I did this and this and this. What what is she complaining about? Because you don't love her. You think that's loving her? Ask her for one minute if she needs another house, another car, another this, or rather she would just have you interested, intimately involved in the things that are going on in her life and connecting with her in a level that makes her feel appreciated and known. Number three is the gospel magnified in how you share life with your wife, or is it tarnished by your lack of grace? Is it magnified or tarnished? When, when people come in for marriage counseling, the gospel is not on good display, right? But we want to help fix it with God's help through the scripture, and that's what we're going to talk about this afternoon, Christ-honoring communication And then how can we strengthen and encourage each other as we want to grow together so that the gospel is magnified 
in how we live out our wife. I hope that husbands here today would be reminded of the joy of understanding your wife. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time to gather in your word. Thank you for 1 Peter chapter 3 and Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 and Colossians 3, 17 and 18. So many passages that, that we all appreciate that instruct us in our own role and responsibility. Help us to be more faithful husbands who would love our wives, live in, with them as, as the fellow heir of the grace of life. And in doing that, we would show them honor and we would seek to have knowledge, to understand them deeply in the good and in the difficult. Just give us patience. Help us to prize our wives, to pursue them in a way that would honor you so that Christ would be exalted and that our marriages would be a reflection of that love between Christ and the church. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.